This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome to a Wednesday night edition, hump day edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. And because it is Wednesday, that means that Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus is here. Austin, good evening. How are you? Doing great, man. How about yourself? I'm good. Um, we before we get started, you had a dog barking in the background. What kind of dog do you have? We haven't talked about this. Oh, it's uh, Golden Retriever. His name's Chief. His name's Chief. Yeah. Okay. How old? I think now he's almost five. So he's been around for a while. <laughs> okay. Golden Retriever. It's a good yeah. pick. It's hard to be a, a Golden Retriever. For sure. Are there bad Golden Retrievers? I've never encountered one with. I don't like think that. I have. Like, yeah. Right. I, he's he's a pretty good guy. Well, if it makes you feel any better, uh, a Rottweiler attacked me today. Oh, my gosh. What a segue. It was – so I have a puppy Rottweiler, basically. I have a manager pincher. He's 15. And it just – he just – he looks more like Dobby now than a puppy Rottweiler. But um, the Rottweiler, she was like, he's very friendly. But it was this runner lady coming down the street in, in front of my office. And I was like, oh, cool. Big Bandit. That's what I called her. And dog just was not having it. And she almost lost it off the leash and everything. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go. This is not good. You can't control this Rottweiler. Um, I'm going to dip. But uh, first time I've ever actually been like, ooh, this could end very badly for me. Wow. That's uh, pretty incredible. Yeah. I I had podcasts to do and everything else. So I'm glad um, nothing happened uh, on that front. But a lot of other things have happened to Austin. And that is um, people who know Sean McVay have done really well this offseason. Oh, absolutely. If you're his neighbor, at the, I mean, if you've ever been his neighbor, if you saw him at the airport, I think it's, it makes sense to start sending in some resumes. I mean, it's crazy to see just the guys that have known him or been around him through the coaching process start to find jobs. And I think the guys who get head coaching jobs and, up and coordinator jobs will get a lot of the headlines. But you'll see some guys that even get fill in as the position coaches that also knew McVay and were a part of that system. That coaching tree is getting a lot of love right now. And it's kind of crazy to think about for sure. Can he have a coaching tree at this point? It's not even that he has a tree. He just has a lot of limbs because he's just been 
he's he's bounced around. He's still so young. I just it's hard for me to call it a tree at this point. He just has people that he knows his friends basically. I just it's just different in that regard. Like Andy Reid, Belichick, all those guys work for him for years. Like Cornell, Charlie Wise, McDaniel's. You go up and down the list. They worked for this older coach for a long time. I feel like to have a tree, you have to like been a coach for like ten to fifteen years. Oh, I agree. I don't think it's necessarily the tree that where Sean McGay, Sean McVay is the lead branch. I think just people that were part of Sean McVay's system and where he was with you know Andy Reid and all that stuff. I think that people being a part of that wherever that tree started, I think are starting to get a lot more love because there's just a dearth of offensive coaching talent people are just trying to find that guy that young offensive mastermind that can put up points in the nfl because you need points more than ever and i think that's what people are going people want their next mcveigh and they're going to do whatever it takes whether it be hiring his friend mailman babysitter it doesn't matter trying to find a guy that can put up points like mcveigh can with his offense is so valued right now and so sought after yeah so how would you rank the hires thus far Ooh, that's that's difficult to say. I mean, the Lafleur one was very head, a big head scratcher for me. I, I okay. don't think he improved the Tennessee Titans offense. It didn't make a ton of sense. To, it's gonna be interesting to see what he does with better personnel, a better quarterback. But I didn't see a lot from what he was able to do with Tennessee that would make me want to put him in a coaching, you know, head coaching job. I, I'm not, I don't know the guy. Obviously, it's hard to comment on how skilled he is just based off on how the Tennessee Titans offense performed. But that was definitely a head scratcher. And then looking at Bruce Arians, I think was a great hire. I think that guy belongs back on the sideline. I think he really wanted to go there. And the fact that he's going to be able to bring Todd Bowles with him. I think that's a very exciting hire and kind of the right move. And Byron Leftwich. That's right. And I think that's a, a young offensive coordinator that I think can have success. I think he's a guy that's going to be an offensive mind, maybe a part of the Arians coaching tree one day. But I think, that they, he brought a lot of talent with him, and he's going to a situation where I think he can win. Outside of that, you look at you know the Cliff Kingsbury's ones that are obviously dominating the headlines right now, and this is my take. And talking with guys around the office of PFF, I think Cliff Kingsbury right now isn't a you know isn't a guy that you think can win now. I think he has to learn a lot. The steep learning curve. He has to adapt his offensive system, learn to coach at the NFL level. You're not recruiting anymore. You're coaching grown men, and I think that's going to take some time. But I think if he went to USC or maybe he take, takes an offensive coordinator in the NFL, in two or three years, he's going to be the most sought-after head coaching candidate in the NFL. People are going to be begging for him to come. And a, guy, a team like the Arizona Cardinals isn't going to be a posi- in a position maybe one or two years down the road when he is the best guy available to make him an offer. And the fact to get him a little bit early, groom him a little bit, you know, have that leash a little bit longer early to have him develop so you have him in his prime – Makes sense to me. I, I'm not going to be the one that says, oh, they brought in Cliff. They're going to be great this year. I think it's going to take some time, but it was an investment that makes sense because I think down the road, this guy could have a lot of success at the NFL level. Okay, so a couple things there. Let's start with the most recent, uh, the Cardinals. Um, I agree with a lot what you said, and I hadn't really thought about the fact that like just kind of gobbling up this hot coaching prospect just because you know someone else is going to bite like if he has a great year with jt daniels at usc um and he kind of reinvigorates his career in socal like you never know who's going to swoop him up after that or belichick takes him if mcdaniels leaves next offseason because he was a the quarterback in new england for a little bit and i want to say he's worked on in some area that staff like he and belichick are tight at the very least and it's interesting because so Arizona, as you know, had one of the all-time worst offenses of all time. Like, that's not a hyperbolic statement. They literally, I think, finished fifth worst in offensive DVOA 
in NFL history. Um, the Oakland Raiders, just for reference, were like 20 percentage points better. Um, and the Oakland Raiders <laughs> offense was not good this year. That's just how bad it was. And I mean, the Vic Beasley got multiple sacks on the Cardinals with Justin Pugh and Andre Smith in that group uh, blocking for Josh Rosen. And him just surviving this season is a miracle. I I wrote about this, but like I don't think this was a good job. And I think this was something where they kind of had to go desperate because if Mike McCarthy, who I think now, can we just go ahead and say is probably out of coaching in the NFL? Like that Jets job, like him going uh, going ahead and just saying, I'm not taking any other jobs, like unless he changes his mind about the Dolphins or something like that, I think he's out. Because um, the longer that a guy like that is out of the game, the more likely it is that he ends up at like Washington State <laughs> oh, wow. years from now than uh, back at the NFL level. Like he goes the Herm Edwards route. Like I could see that. Like Chuck Pagano. He kind of reminds me of the Chuck Pagano stuff too, where it's like they had success early on. And then they were there for a while, and then it's like, oh, they're going to get rumored. They're going to interview a lot. Like, he might fall on that Jim Caldwell, Chuck Pagano thing where we just see them pop up for interviews for the next five years and never actually get a job, and they finally just settle for a college job and try and do that. But um, that Arizona job sucks, and they're going to be really bad for, I think, the next several years. And he's in a division. I, I We talked about this. He's in a ridiculous division. He has Russell Wilson to deal with, even though Brian Schottenheimer – um, is making sure those training will stay on at all times. So <laughs> that that helps in that front. But, I mean, you have Pete Carroll, Kyle Shanahan with a healthy Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll see what happens there. And then, obviously, the Rams with Sean McVay. Like, that's not a desirable position to be in. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, this is a great opportunity for him because I, I don't know if he would have gotten an, a straight-to-NFL head coach offer outside of a team like the Cardinals who were just desperate because, ultimately, they did not – have a lot of options if you are um, an agent and your the Cardinals call you and you have a intriguing NFL guy like an Adam Gase or um, just you go up and down the list of the guys who already got hired it's like Vic Fangio whoever it's like no 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 no, no. don't take that job you're not gonna win like <laughs> the, there's no way you're winning anytime soon and we're gonna look everybody's gonna look at you differently in two years because you went t- uh, I don't know six in uh 20 whatever it is um over to your span and then it just looks bad and i don't know i don't think that's being uh, too harsh on that job because that job sucks and cliff kingsbury is in for a very tough time i wouldn't bet on it working out just because they have so many holes and i guess we'll have to see what he does with the defense and who he hires to fill out a staff but man there is so much work to be done in arizona that i just I don't think it matters. <laughs> That's why I'm not riled up about it. It's just that team's just going to be god-awful for a while. But you have to hope that upper management in Arizona understands that it's going to be a bad couple of years. They have to know that this roster, offensive line, defense, maybe outs- if you really believe in Josh Rosen, every position but the quarterback position is solved. They know this team's going to be bad. I, I think in addition for this being the long-term play, the long-ball play, and having the best head coaching candidate, already your head coach, when your team's ready to compete in two, three years is way more desirable than kind of going with an older guy that is not necessarily looking for the long term. He's looking to win now to bring in a coach that's ready to win now. But then next thing you know, things are changing, roster changes, and you have to bring in a whole new regime. I think committing long term as a bad team that needs a culture change is going to need new leaders. It makes sense to bring in a guy 
young that could be very good in the future. I don't think he's good right now. I don't think he's going to be able to perform at a high level as a head coach in the NFL right now. I don't think the Cardinals do either, but it's a long ball play in addition to being a marketing play. I mean, they changed their social yeah. media handle, the Arizona Cardinals with a K. The AVI is him in the sunglasses. People are going to go to those games a lot more if you bring in a Cliff Kingsbury compared to a Vance Joseph. Bringing in a guy that brings a lot of firepower and a young, useful, potential guy makes yeah. way more sense for putting guys in seats now when they know these teams are going to be bad. You have to know as a GM, as an owner, this roster is not good. We're not going to be good for a yeah, couple years. Yeah, they're hitwinging the fans, basically. Like, they're, they're giving them this shiny object. Like Exactly. Kingsbury. Yeah, they're just like, uh, things might be fun. We're bringing in Cliff Kingsbury. It's like, no, 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 no. This is still going to be a god-awful football team for a while. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 like I said, they have I think to give him like five years, play. man. Like he needs at least five. I'm, that's not an understatement. This, yeah, this five. I don't know. Roster. Five conservatively. I, I think you can put this. You can put a roster together, and with with a, you have to assume in this situation, you're assuming Josh Rosen pans out to be a top fifteen yeah. QB. I think in two. Three years, you can compete. Maybe not in the division, but in the NFC for a wild card spot. You can compete if you make the right decisions from a personnel standpoint. If Josh Rosen pans out. If Josh Rosen isn't good and doesn't work and maybe battles injuries or something along those lines, this Cliff Kingsbury thing is not going to go well. Because if you have to start searching for a new QB in two or three years... You're not going to be able to last, you know, for that 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 season and that franchise to get back around. You have to bank on Josh Rosen being good, and that you just have to hope for that. You have to hope the GM made the right decision in picking that guy. And I think if you develop him right in the system, he can cater to, surround him with weapons more than what they've got, surround him with a better offensive line. You can compete, but you have to hope that Josh Rosen pans out. Yeah, um, the Arian stuff I like a lot. I love Bruce Arians. Um, just his record speaks for itself. And I, I think it's interesting that he's already publicly said that he is building around Jameis Winston and Tampa Bay. So that go ahead, that, that clears up whether or not Jameis Winston is uh, long for that area. But uh, that's a risky play on his part. But at the same time, at his age, at 66, he wants to win now. And Jameis has shown flashes. Um, I wouldn't build my team around him. But if you're Bruce Arians and you're in that situation, you kind of have to. You know that offense is in good shape, and you know he's going to get a lot of Mike Evans, and he's not going to really care that Peyton Barber is his running back. I don't think that's really going <laughs> to scare him at all. But I think the bigger thing is he got Todd Bowles. Like, getting Todd Bowles to run that defense, because we know Todd Bowles is a great defensive mastermind. And they've invested a lot of money, especially in the defensive line, and for both with draft capital and in free agency. Um, over the last couple of years and it hasn't worked out that defense still sucks and I, I'm just interested to see what happens there because the NFC South has all the potential in the world to get very interesting next year all over again um, because it used to be just a couple of years ago where it seemed like a different team won the division every year and I think adding Bruce Arians who we just know is a good football coach into that mix um, is a big deal but at the same time Dirk Cutter I mean that offense with Cutter and Monken was good the offense was not the problem for Tampa Bay this past year. It was just that defense was so bad and that secondary was so bad. So you bring in somebody who um, just excelled in New York at creating DBU, basically, with Jamal Adams and everybody else back there. So um, I think it's a smart hire. I think it's a good hire. I did not think they'd be able to pull off somebody like that just because of the nature of that job and um, who's in that division and kind of dealing with the Glazers and everything else. But um, I think that's a huge win for Jason Light, who I still think is a good GM because if you go back through his drafts, it's hard to like 
pick them apart and even free agency moves he's made. It's just like his biggest mistake was allowing Mike Smith to be their defensive coordinator. Like, <laughs> like even Todd Monken was a great outside the box hire. Um, he came at us their miss. You know, he wasn't Steve Sarkeesian huge win there. Um, I don't know. I, I like that. And the little four stuff. Um, it's amazing how much a year makes because I just, I'm giving him a mulligan on Tennessee this year because of everything going on with the nerve stuff and Mariota's hand and just, it's really hard. Maybe he just bit off more than he could chew in that situation, but that's a really good offensive line. Um, there was weird stuff with the running back. Remember how Deion Lewis had that breakout game against the Cowboys and then he loses the job and then it's like, nope, Derrick Henry's a wrecking ball and had that 99 yard run. And it's like, okay, it's Derrick Henry's thing. And the receiving core is pretty bad. And outside of Corey Davis, he's okay. Taji Sharps. No, I just, I, I look at it and I'm just like, why did he leave Sean McVay's? Like if he was going to leave, um, for another job, I feel like he should have just waited it out because, uh, if we've learned anything from the last couple of weeks, it's that just being as close to Sean McVay's orbit as humanly possible is a net positive, right? Oh, I, for sure. If we learned anything from this offseason, knowing Sean McVay slash working with Sean McVay can only get you in better places. Uh, it's exciting to see for those guys. And I think you, they're going to get a lot of opportunities that maybe they weren't expecting. But it, it's also a head-scratcher, too. You got the I, Packers think, job. <laughs> it's incredible. I, I think, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about it. I, mean, I feel like speaking on LaFleur, I, I honestly don't have a good enough opinion on him because it's really hard to evaluate you know, how he's performed. Cause like you said, that Tennessee offense with Mariota banged up here and there had to start the blame train a few games. It's hard to say how good that offense could have been with a competent QB. Yeah. Give him Aaron Rodgers, give him Aaron Jones, Devonte Adams. Maybe LaFleur can make some plays. I don't know. Yeah. I think if he fails in green Bay, I don't care if him and Sean McVay hang out every night. This guy cannot, you know, you cannot give him enough or another high echelon opportunity. I, I think you, you have Aaron Rodgers. You have a David Bakhtiari. A good Corey Lindsley at center is fantastic. You, you have an offense that a competent OC can win with, a competent head coach can win with. If LaFleur, if LaFleur falls flat in Green Bay, then it becomes an even huge, you know, even bigger you know, head scratcher that why are you even bringing this guy? You obviously bit off more than he can chew. Bring You bring in, you know, all the other head coaching candidates, maybe outside of Cliff Kingsbury, I think they're going to have immediate success with the roster Green Bay has. LaFleur has very big shoes to fill and also high expectations to meet because of how successful and how talented this offense is. It's going to be interesting to see how he goes up against Matt Nagy because I, I'm, all, I'm all the way out on Matt Patricia and we'll talk about that stuff. Um, a little bit later, but um, Zimmer retained Kevin Stefanski as his OC, which, I mean, Hugh Jackson was rumored for a while, and um, just different names popped up. I remember people were getting nervous about Brad Childers resigning from his Atlanta oh, no. job, <laughs> and it was like, oh, God, is he coming back to Minnesota? Is is that what's happening? Or is he going to Cleveland and uh, doing that thing? But um it, it's it's wild that that's all happening. So I, I think the Vikings are kind of trending maybe down along with the Lions and the Packers. I mean, if he keeps Mike Pettin as DC, even though their defense did suck this year, if you look at the actual numbers, um, there's a lot of talent back there. And I think changing schemes again um, would probably not be the best thing with just how much young talent they have on the back end there with uh, Jair Alexander, who showed flashes, Josh jackson but as the pff guys uh steve and sam talked about this is something that they've done several times where they've drafted high cornerbacks like uh demarius randall and um guys like that and they move on and 
Um, they show flashes early and then that's just it. And they, that's all it is. It's just flashes. Um, so that's interesting to ponder and watch out for the next couple of years. But um, I don't know. I think it's fine. I think ultimately it's the right kind of risk to take with Aaron Rodgers in his prime to get a interesting offensive mind that can challenge him and kind of uh, make that offense more creative again because we saw what that happened with Matt Nagy when he comes into the fold and we saw what happened with just guys who you're like, I'm not sure if they're going to be a head coach, but I just know that they're going to maximize or at least not even maximize, just be better than the John Foxes and the Mike McCarthy's of the world. So I just feel like at that point, it really, it can't go worse. I mean, it's not Pat Fitzgerald who they were rumored to hire because Mark Murphy was the G or the AD at Northwestern and hired Fitzgerald years ago. Like that would have been, Oh, you want to talk about bad offense and things that would make you long for the days of the Mike McCarthy offense. It's throw Pat's Fitzgerald in the NFL. That that's what you should do. Yeah. And I think that you know, you spoke to that desire for a, for creativity, you know, you, people want those offensive coordinators and play callers, head coaching, you know, head coaches that call plays to be creative and to throw different guys in, mess, mess, mix with personnel, use guys effectively, play to strengths. Look at Matt Nagy in Chicago and how he's been able to use one of the hardest used players, in my opinion, Tariq Cohen. The guy is super small, one of the smallest, you know, smallest I think players. I say Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> oh, oh, Mitch Trubisky too. I mean, what he's been able to do with him and how how you know, but that's a different story though. I don't even think he's gotten the best out of Mitch Trubisky because Trubisky has still struggled with certain ac- accuracy issues, oh, play under pressure, yeah. all of that. But Tariq Cohen. You give that guy, you give Tariq Cohen to a you know a, a not a, a guy that's not creative with the off you know with offense doesn't use him can't find a way to get him on the field can't find a way to have him get him success but give him to Matt Nagy and finds a way to use the smallest player in the NFL effectively to a point where he's the second most valuable running back by PFF's WAR metrics is incredible that speaks to finding the best you know finding ways to use very good players that maybe other offense coordinators and other play callers can't find to use you look at you know across the NFL there are certain players that. When you put them in a new system, they have way more success. Look at Cordero Patterson going from the Oakland Raiders with Todd Downing to Bill Belichick in New England. They're able to put him at running back and find success and give him, you know, improve his efficiency. And that's just an underrated skill set. I think with office coordinators and play callers, you need to identify weaknesses, you need to identify strengths both on your own personnel and opposing personnel. And obviously, you have to call plays and play design. But those first two things I said sometimes get overlooked. It's like, oh, I really want him to call cool plays and know when to call them. But knowing how good your players are and how bad some of your players are is almost equally as important. And seeing what Abel Nagy's been able to do with that and other successful offense coordinators in addition to having creative plays is, is crazy to see. And I think you see that difference from coach to coach. Yeah. Um, Adam Gase. I'm pretty shocked because if I had to bet, I would have bet on him getting the Browns job just because that seemed like kind of like something Dorsey would do um, just kind of build around, like go back to the chief stuff where it's like Andy Reed retread, but it's really panned out. And Adam Gase, we saw what he did in year one in Miami. And like when he had a healthy Ryan Tannehill and stuff like that, and maximizing skill set guys, um, even though he was uh, playing way too much uh, Frank Gore, but he is someone that Peyton Manning loves, like one of the best play callers in football. Like he's still someone that, um, I think you could you I I still like Adam Gase and I just him getting the Jets job was weird. The Matt Rule stuff never made sense to me, but so Lombardi's son, I believe, Michael Lombardi, friend of the pod of, from the Ringer and also the Athletic, I'm pretty sure he works in the Jets front office or is on the coaching staff, one of the two. And his other son, I believe, works at Baylor. And I've always wondered if that there was like some sort of 
crossover, and that's why Matt Rule kept popping up. Is like the Lombardis were recommending Matt Rule to New York Jets and trying to get him to that job. So that was that's just a little thing I've been thinking about to watch out for the Lombardi Matt Rule connection in Jetland. But um, for Sam Donald, this is great, right? Like at the very least, um, this is good news for the development of Sam Donald. But at the same time, I, I don't know. It's hard to get excited, even though I mean. It should be exciting on the surface. Like, if this was a couple years ago, you're like, oh, yeah, home run. Because that's how we all thought about Adam Gase when he got hired by the Dolphins the first time. But at this, I, I just, I'm not sure. I, it's kind of weird that this Jets job is just kind of, huh, we'll see. Maybe. And I question, you know, I think Adam Gase is a great play caller, great offensive mind in the NFL. There's reasons why he's praised so highly. But what I really question is, you know, when you hear those rumors from, you know, different publications about players we're going up to upper management saying, I'm out if Adam Gase isn't out. And the culture he brought was disliked by a lot of veterans, even Frank Gore, which I think is a guy that has rarely ever stirred up drama, rarely ever spoken against coaches and other players. To, for him to have that kind of stance and Ken Drake saying, Gase is out or trade me. The culture stuff is stuff that's hard to spec, you know, hard to evaluate without speculating. And I think bringing Adam Gase in is great news for Sam Darnold and the development of that offense. I think he's going to get the best out of the players he has. However, the culture he brings to the table is going to be interesting and how those players respond because that's a young team with young leaders, Darnold, Jamal Adams, Robbie Anderson, maybe not in that leader role yet, but one of their better players on the offensive side of the ball. It's going to be interesting because he can either— well, They just re-signed it, Quincy, right? In Namora? Yeah, they've Quincy already assigned, Quin- they already re-signed Quincy, Quincy and Numa. I think Elijah McGuire— yeah was a young running back that had some success with them last year. This team is going to be looking for culture. And if Adam Gates brings it and it's, it fits well with them and it melds well with them, then this team is bound for great things. But if, if it hits the people the wrong way, like it did in Miami and, and kind of made this mixed culture where people were against him, that's not going to go well in New York. And I think Adam Gates has to tread carefully in how hard he wants to attack this team and attack this roster with his culture because he doesn't want to you know, rub people the wrong way, especially on a young offense the young team that's already trying to build its leaders right now. Yeah. Um, do you think it works out? Is he someone that is in New York for five years? I think it works out because Darnold works out. I think when you have okay. a great a quarterback that can be as good as Darnold can and you fit him with an offensive mind like Adam Gase, if Gase can get the best out of Darnold, which I think is really, really good, Gase's job is safe. I think he needs to dial in his efforts, pull away from you know big culture stuff, pull away from you know being too much of a micromanager focus in on Darnold, make him the best he can be, and the, the rest will fall into place. I think you bring Darnold, to the, you, know, you put Darnold into a top 10 conversation in two or three years, this Jets team can have a lot of success, especially with the roster they're building. How big of an issue is Vic Fangio going to Denver um, for Matt Nagy in that group? Uh, it's an issue, but at the same time, a lot of it's personnel. I, I think they have a very very talented defense. There are big names at every level. Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan, Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, you know, even Leonard Floyd. They've gotten success out of Leonard Floyd. You look in the secondary, every single player back there is a star. Bryce Callahan, Kyle Fuller, Adrian Amos, Eddie Jackson. When you have that many high-performing players that were are very, you know, playing well, you know, Vic Vangio, yes, had a huge part in that, but he did get the best out of Khalil Mack, which I think is something that gets overlooked. He did get way, they got way more out of Khalil Mack than the Oakland Raiders did in the four years they had him. And I think that's very impressive. But I think it will be a step down from what Banjo is, whoever they do bring in, but not a significant one if all those players stay healthy and continue to play well. So you think Bryce Callahan, Kyle Fuller, just all those different guys who just had 
just unbelievable years for uh, Chicago. It does if they promote from within or anything else that they'll be fine defensively, and that there's not going to be this huge drop off where it's like maybe Fangio was what held this team together with his um, being around. I, I I don't know. I just I would not be surprised if like this is a one year wonder for Nagy and Trubisky and this whole whole thing. In Chicago. That's all I'm saying. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have any I faith. Just, I can see it. <laughs> I don't have any faith in, in, in Trubisky. And right. I think that offense I don't either. So if you away. lose your DC, who just put together one of the craziest seasons ever, um, with just the amount of talent they have there, I just, I don't know, man. I don't it's know a if lot I see this defense being a one-year wonder. I, don't, I, don't, I think they have young pieces, talented pieces that can continue to perform well if you just get a competent DC in there. This offense is very unstable. You know, without a quarterback that can put together consistent game-to-game high performances, it's hard to be a consistent offense. You're not going to get the Tariq Cohen like they did this year every year. You know, Al, you know, you're not going to get Allen Robinson in bursts like they did. This offense needs to get better, and that starts with Trubisky. However, I don't see the defense having this massive drop-off, like even similar to what the Jags had. But even the Jags, when you look at it from a scoring standpoint and even yards allowed standpoint, they weren't as bad as what was kind of reported in the beginning. But I, I just can't see all the players that they had. Akeem Hicks, Cleo Mack, the linebacking core with Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan, and that secondary that has stars across the board. I just don't see them regressing significantly, barring injury. Yeah, I just, I feel like I've seen this story before. So I'm going to throw some examples here. Washington, when Jay Gruden lost Sean McVay, the offense hasn't been the same. Um, Quinn, when he lost Shanahan. Not been the same. Eagles, they lose Frank Reich and John Filippo. The offense kind of struggled this year. Wentz, who was just killing the league two years ago, went through some struggles. Maybe it was the injury stuff. Maybe it wasn't. But that offense was just it, – it wasn't humming like it was two years ago. And I think a lot of that could be losing both coordinators over the same offseason. Um, the Vikings, they lose Pat Shermer to New York. That offense with John Filippo falls apart a little bit. They fire Filippo midseason. Um, the Ravens, that one year with Kubiak, we were all thinking, oh, Joe Flacco, he's found his right offensive coordinator, and this could all work. They lose Joe Flacco, they lose Kubiak, and the offense never recovers with Joe Flacco. I just feel like there are a lot of scenarios where, like, these coaches who we like in a vacuum, or we like, generally speaking, when they lose that coordinator that kind of is the linchpin, or kind of like just is way more valuable than we even realize in the moment, um, things just fall apart way more quickly than I think any of us had the foresight to see at the time. Is that fair? I think that's fair. And I think the examples you brought up all make sense, but they're all on the offensive side of the ball. I think yeah, in the offense and the offensive side of the ball is that was so unintentional. De- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just so dependent on the quarterback position. The offense is so more so dependent on one position than the defense by tenfold. And you look at, you look at the guys you mentioned the up and down quarterback play it factored in all of that. You know, it factors in, you know, you lose an OC, a quarterback can be a totally different person. You, you look at yeah. how Derek Carr went from, um, I'm losing the name of the different, M- M- Musgrave to Downing. Yeah, it was Musgrave. Completely Dole- different yeah, yeah, yeah. guy. <laughs> completely and that was an upgrade. Player. Remember, they like, they fired him. They fired Musgrave, exactly. basically. And they promoted this dude who they thought was like their next Sean McVay. And yes. he was just, it was a one year <laughs> yes. thing. But with defense, in the I, league I think so much has to happen. I think so much has to happen because it's not one position that has to fluster. You have to have multiple guys that were playing well start to play worse and for the defense to perform worse. But if you look at the offense, if the quarterback starts playing badly from a year, from going from one OC to the next, that offense is going to be worse no matter how you slice it oh i got an example dick labota keith butler 
Oh, yeah, but Dick, I, 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 okay, Dick LeBeau is a great example, but Dick LeBeau is also a future Hall of Famer. If not, or is he already True. a Hall of Famer? That's that's a good question. I don't think so, but oh, okay. I'm sure he will be. Yeah, he, he's. Um, an, I mean, that 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 guy was a part of that for so long, and, and to go down from there, I agree. But I, I, I still Austin, though, when they had to promote him, that Bengals defense was never the same with Marvin Lewis. Once he gave, I mean, the last couple DCs, um, losing Paul Gunther, at, or after even, yeah, I guess it was Gunther. Um, moving on from him, um, that was a thing. That but I don't think defense. that defense. I mean, I think the Bengals defense with Gunther wasn't outstanding. Before they I mean, jumped. they were Super Bowl caliber with him. Maybe. I, I still think a lot of that has to... I mean, they weren't a top defense in the league. I, I, they, just, they didn't have that the pass rushing talent. I feel like they were top five that year. Were they not in defensive DVOA? That year where he got hurt, uh, Andy Alton got hurt um, going to the playoffs and they had to start McCarron in that playoff game. Oh, I thought you were talking about uh, 2017. No, I, no, may, no, no, maybe that year. But, I'm not sure. Yes. I'm losing the Gunther days now. I'm losing... Because the they Gunther didn't... <laughs> days. How can you lose track of Gunther Mania in Cincinnati? <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's because he's in Oakland, and he's just um, you trying to think about the Oakland Raiders too much. Yeah. Which, kind of a weird career move, but I guess at the same time, he knows he's going to be there for the long haul because John Gruden's got the nine years left on his contract, so maybe that's part of it. Everyone there has got it for the long haul. They're getting the pass for the next two years. I don't even think two years in the Vegas, you could still see all the coordinators, the same coordinators there, because Gruden and the nepotism and in the, in the NFL overall and Gruden, you know, guys just keep guys they like and keep guys they believe in regardless of success, even though, and I think this was pointed out on Twitter multiple times, the NFL and the jobs within is it's so easy to see which guys are playing well or performing well and which guys aren't yet. We still see like some of the most nepotism in, in, across, you know, across all industries in the NFL, despite you can clearly see which guys are doing well and which guys aren't, but it's time and time again, the guys who are have the high win percentage playing better on the field, don't get the jobs they deserve because of, you know, guys want guys that they like. Yeah, it's, it's not great. Um, something I was thinking about today. I, I mean, it's not like this revolutionary thought, but I think there's a real possibility. Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger and Le'Veon Bell are not Steelers next year. All three. Crazy that the, that the triple B's are gone and that they'll never have a title together. They'll never have their moment in the sun that that group, I think more and more about it. I'm like, why has Ben coming back? If they trade Antonio Brown they and Le'Veon Bell's gone, they have no shot at title. I mean, the offensive line's great and they got to keep Munchak, which is a huge win for them. Um, but man, like why, if you're Ben Roethlisberger, who was worse this year, like he, the cracks are showing. Um, I think Steve Palazzolo, your your colleague, is waiting for the cracks to become just this um, flood, the great flooding of Ben Roethlisberger's overthrows and just bad throws in general. Um, I just I wonder if we've already, we saw the last of that group together. We've already seen down to two, but now the more I think about it, I think all three are probably gone. It doesn't make sense for me. Like I, the only thing that makes sense is Antonio Brown being the last one standing and not Ben, but. I don't know. I just, is that not something you've been thinking about? I, is, like, what would be the closest example in the NFL, like the last 20 years? Would it be like if Peyton, Reggie Wayne, and like Edron James were all in their prime together? Or I guess not in their prime. They were all like on the same team together when they didn't win a title and then they all just went their separate ways and nothing had nothing to show for it, something like that. I just, I don't know what the right example for this is. Yeah, it's hard to think of something like specifically on the offensive side of the ball where you have three 
high-performing players that are literally driving an offense all kind of not be able to win together and then also fall apart both from the locker room and on the field. And it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see that happen. I, I think that the most realistic situation for me is Le'Veon Bell doesn't return and Antonio Brown gets traded and Ben Rossberger is there. If he chooses to retire, that makes sense. I would not be surprised if all three are gone if Ben chooses to retire. But if he doesn't, you, know, you like James Conner. Maybe you like that offensive line. Juju Smith-Schuster can be a number one. Maybe that's what Ben's thinking, and that defense improves from what a, a dumpster fire it was last year to slightly better. Maybe that gets him to return. I don't know. But I, I, I don't see Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown really returning. I think it makes way too much sense for them to get value. I mean, obviously, you can't get value out of Le'Veon Bell anymore. The guy's a free agent. But to get value out of Antonio Brown, trade him away and try and rebuild that locker room with Tomlin. If you want to chase one more title with ben, Big Ben at the helm— but if Big Ben retires in lieu of that, I mean, in response to that, I wouldn't be surprised either. I think you could totally see that fall apart. And I think a lot of it, you have to blame coaching at a certain point because when you have all that much, all that talent, you have to be able to win football games. And I think it, when the talent's not the question, you got to turn to the coach and how they weren't able to win with that team. Yeah. All right. Let's quickly talk about the NFL playoff matchups this weekend. Um, gotta say, love Seahawks Cowboys. That was so much fun. I think it was my favorite game of the weekend. Other than the Eagles and the Bears. I went 4-0, by the way. I had the Eagles winning uh, last week. Talked to Lewis about it. He was just not a not a believer. Um, Nick Foles is not going down in game one of his uh, just his encore <laughs> from what he did a season ago in the playoffs. Uh, but brutal way to, to advance and a brutal loss for Chicago. But um, I want to ask you. So, early thoughts. Chargers-Pats. My first thing that I wrote down when I was thinking about this game. Really bad matchup for New England. Yeah, but at the same time, though, I don't know. I think Chargers traveling to Foxborough with, with I think, with the year, you know, the extra week to prepare, extra week to rest up. I don't know if this is going to be easy for a Chargers team. I think Tom Brady gets it right. Julian Edelman comes together. It's going to be hard for the defense to match up, the Chargers defense to match up. Will it be close? Sure. But I do not see Tom Brady and the Patriots losing this game. I, I think the Chargers... Oh. Jordan James doesn't kill Tom Brady along with Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. <laughs> I don't see it. I really don't. Okay. I, I, th- I think this Chargers team did a very good job defending a Ravens team that was has been completely one-dimensional for the last seven weeks. But I don't see them having a repeat performance against a Patriots team that can be two, two-dimensional. The, the Patriots quietly have been one of the most balanced and high-performing running teams in the NFL in the last few weeks. They've been you know using fullback a little bit more, running Sony Michelle and James White, running play action off of it, and having a lot of success. I think they're going to be able to do that against the Chargers defense, and I think they're going to be able to win at home in Foxborough. Oh, God. No. <laughs> I want Phil. Yeah, I Tom want Brady has been – Tom Brady, is it seven or nine consecutive AFC championships? I, I don't know. Yeah, I think like he's that, been yeah. in every single one since 2007. Well, or AFC two- has just been like – it's basically been Roethlisberger, Manning, and Brady for the last like 18 years. Yes. And I don't see that changing. I think the Chargers team, yes, will it be close, but I I just don't see Tom Brady ending that streak. I want to say it's since 2007. He's been to every AFC championship. I don't think this is the year that he lets that fall through. Okay. Well, fuck the Patriots and I don't want them in there. So (laughs) um, No, thanks. I want, I want Pip versus Drew Brees. That's the Super Bowl I want. That's what America wants. I want them both there. And um, yeah, no, I, that's what I, I, I did not think you were going to go there. I no, thought you were going to join me on Chargers Island. <laughs> I just, I, you look at their best defender and it's Stefan Gilmore, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's what we would agree. Um, 
I don't know. Is he going to get matched up with Keenan Allen in the slot? Are they going to put linebackers on Keenan Allen like the Steelers did? Or are they going to be able to handle Melvin Gordon if he's healthy? Are they going to like? Is this defense going to be able to do that? And also, are the Pats if they get in a scoring match with the the Chargers, are they really going to be able to put up with enough points? I just I don't know. It just seems. Mm, I don't know. I, I and the Chargers really good road team this year. Very good road team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they play every game on the road. So basically, yeah, <laughs> they're built for this. They're built for Foxborough. You heard it here first. Um, Colts Chiefs, which I think will be the most lopsided game of the weekend. Can I quickly tell you why? Why? So there is a difference between uh, Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid and Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson, and we saw like. I'm sure when Sam was watching the Texans offensive line last weekend was just like, (laughs) just as happy as he's ever been for all the people that were trying to talk him into or talk themselves into the Texans being a Super Bowl team, which is how bad that offensive line was like Deshaun Watson had no time and was just destroyed play after play. It was, it was sad, but not a very innovative offensive playbook that they brought out against that uh, Colts defense. Colts defense is overachieving all that kind of stuff. It's a cool story, but there's not a bunch of talent there. At the same time, the Colts are a team kind of like the Cowboys where they're very smash mouth heavy. They utilize Marvin Ma- or Marlon Mack. They have a great offensive line. They're refusing to let anyone get anywhere near Andrew Luck, which is a good strategy. Quick passes, all that kind of stuff. This is not a team that can play from behind. Like, I just think the Chiefs are going to score. You can't get around that. That's what's going to happen. It's kind of like Oklahoma a little bit. Like, they're just going to put up too much points. Like, I think this is going to be a blowout. I don't think the Colts can play from behind, and I think the Chiefs are going to be so motivated to get this win that it's like 45-21 to 21 maybe. Uh, we fall on I think steamboat them. We fall out on opposite ends again. I like the okay. Indy upset. I really like the Indy oh, upset. No. I think Andrew... Does Kansas City burn to the ground <laughs> if that happens? Like, I, do you just give up? I think so. But at the same time, Andrew Locke and T.Y. Hilton have been playing some of the best football since week 11. That, that duo is practically unstoppable since T.Y. Hilton's return from injury. And the defense is chock full of high-performing Guys that everyone threw away. You know, Denny exactly. Gautry was thrown away. Yeah. yeah, Pierre Desir was thrown away. Darius Leonard wasn't regarded as a high, you know a highly drafted guy. He wasn't you know people are still overlooking him with comparing them to other defenders. Where's in the Jerry Hughes? Yeah, I, it, it's it, you know this this team is, is full of you know overachievers, guys that everyone counted out, and that mentality goes a long way in the playoffs. We've seen it with the Eagles with the underdog masks, and I think the Colts have that underdog mask. I don't think they're going to be wearing them, but they 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 know. They're going into KC, going into Arrowhead as underdogs with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. He's playing at his best. T.Y. Hilton's also helping him out. That offensive line is good. You spoke to Marlon Mack. This is a team that can punch you in the mouth after a week off. And I like Andy Reid, and I love Patrick Mahomes, and I agree they're going to score points. I think Andrew Luck and the Colts score more. Oh, my God. You heard it here first. Austin Gale, Indianapolis Colts, putting up 45 against that vaunted Kansas City defense that no one wants to play right now. I'm ready. I'm ready to take it on. I want it. Is Tamba Hali available for this game? <laughs> um, wow, I did not see that coming. I can see how you're going on Pat's Island, but Chiefs, oh my God. Okay. Now, what an all. Oh, Pat's Colts in the AFC title game again? Let's go. I'm ready. No. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. All right. Um, how do you not want Chiefs Chargers in the AFC title game? It's not uh, what I want. It's what I think will happen. I know. I know. Um, Eagles Saints. 
another one where I just this is where the Nick Foles magic ends. Um, it yeah, ends here. I agree. Okay, I agree. we agree here. Yeah, I don't think the Nick Foles storybook ending is happening this year. I do think he's going to keep it closer than people want. But if, if this game is still within one score at the half, I think Drew Brees finishes it out, and they end up finishing by ten plus, winning by ten plus points. They've gone too far. The Minnesota miracle is still in the back of their minds. They are not ready to go out of the playoffs. They know they were a good team. They should have won that game last year. They need to win this game against a not a bad Eagles team, but a, no, an Eagles team that is so beatable. It's There's a reason they're eight point underdogs. The yeah. Saints should beat this team. They need to beat this team in order to make up for last year and win a bowl with Breeze because time's running out. I mean, and the matchup issue, like Michael Thomas in this group against the Eagles depleted secondary. Russell just, Douglas, Avante Maddox. Yeah, I, don't I don't see, see any of them ready. Them apart, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really, I, you, you look at everything, but the Nick Foles, if you roll out, if you take out this anecdotal Nick Foles magic, this game is an absolute lopsided affair. But because he has this, you know, this magic that everyone speaks to, and he's got the fairy tale ending from a year ago, the backup, all this stuff. That's the only reason you're giving the Eagles a chance. That's so anecdotal. I and mean, you can't, you can't really, you know, it's hard to bring it in there. But at the same time, Drew Brees, where the numbers are, he's one of the best, he was the highest graded pro football, you know, quarterback for pro football focus. Michael Thomas, one of the highest graded receivers. The offensive line is good. This Saints team shouldn't lose unless magic gets thrown into the mix. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, two best offensive tackles in football, like Michael Bennett and guys like that aren't going to get pressure. I just, none of it makes sense to me. I just don't see how that this one, I'll go ahead and lock this one up. Um, last one, Cowboys-Rams. I think this is going to be the best game by far. It will be the uh, most aesthetically pleasing because the Rams are wearing the throwbacks and those throwbacks with the Cowboys uniforms, just bon appetit, 10 out of 10. <laughs> Love it. I'm all here for it. Um this was tough. I went back and forth on this, thinking about it. Like Ezekiel Elliott, have you seen like the numbers? Basically, like if he hits a hundred yards, they've lost like one game. Yeah, yeah, I have. Like that's kind of wild to me. And uh, the Rams pass. Uh, I mean, rush defense not very good. Um, but then again, the Texans had an all-time great run defense coming into that game last weekend, and Marlon Mack then proceeded to run all over them in really weird fashion. So who knows? Come playoff time, how any of this works, but. I, I got to go Rams here. I, mm-hmm. I don't feel great about it, but I also just Dak stuff last week is cute against the Seahawks. When you give like the Seahawks gave them a lot of opportunities. Oh, the Cowboys many. got away with a lot. And I don't think that's going to happen with Sean McVay in this offense. I, I mean, I do think they're really missing Cooper cup. I do think that's plays a role in that offense kind of being a little bit different. Like Farrow Cooper is good, but I, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of a miss there but um yeah i i have the rams i i don't feel great about it but i also just can't see dak prescott winning a shootout with jared goff and sean mcvay i have the rams as well i think okay. the team is the team is more talented i think that dallas going on the road isn't going to be as easy as it is even though you know la isn't the most feared place to play but i think sean mcvay and jared goff are going to come into this prepared and, and really be able to put on put up a lot of points i think the x factor really is Amari Cooper. I think if Amari Cooper can have this breakout game that he's had with Dallas and, you know, looking back, you know, a couple weeks back when he had hundred plus yards in like three or four games, if he has that kind of game against a keep to and Marcus Peters, two cornerbacks he's very familiar with and hates. I'm sure if he has a great game against them and is able to kind of be, have a breakout performance, you know, be a big name in the playoffs. 
they're going to be able to put up points against the Rams. But I think if Amari Cooper falls flat, like he has in previous games, previous years, there's nowhere to go for this Cowboys offense. Yes, I like Ezekiel Elliott, but at a certain point, you got to throw the ball. And if your best receiver isn't you know, performing at an outstanding level against this Rams team, I just don't see them pulling it out. Okay, last thing, and then we're going. Why are no GMs getting fired? It, it makes no sense to me. This gets brought up a lot in the pro football focus offices about, you know, first year head coaches getting fired, even second year head coaches getting fired. Why aren't GMs going down? The only GM that's gone down, it, it, to my knowledge, is Reggie McKenzie. And, and yeah. it, does, it doesn't even make a ton of sense that he got fired. I, I, it's, it's crazy to see, again, we point back to the nepotism and the favoritism, the GMs. These guys, John Elway is getting, like, just, I guess he gets a in, insane benefit of the doubt just because he's a legend there. But, like, John Elway, Jason Light, uh, Bruce Allen, um, who, by the way, we didn't even talk about, like, the Washington Redskins might lose their entire staff around Jay Gruden, like Tom Sula and uh, Callahan and everybody else apparently don't want to be around that circus anymore. So that's a thing. Yeah. Marty Herney is still in power in Carolina. Like what the hell is that? I mean, I guess maybe that will change, but Bob, like Quinn, what happened in Detroit this year? Like they regressed and they kept things in place and they hoped that Pat, Matt Patricia would push them over the top. Yeah. Didn't happen. You, you just go up and down the list. I mean, even the jets, uh, GM, he got to stay around, but not Todd Bowles. And he's the one who hired him and Chris Greer. And like, you just go up and down the list and you're like, why are all these guys getting second and third head coaching choices like i just i don't get it yeah i don't either uh and again like we've i've talked about this multiple times about why do so many gyms get a pass for hiring bad coaches and having to blow everything up every you know every one or two years why you hired them it's not their fault they underperformed you thought he was going to be sweet and he did he wasn't and now you're the guy that's still there i agree i think again i think the only it's no logic can be put behind other than you know, owners like certain guys and they're going to yeah, stick with guys through, through things. You know, there's so many GMs with longer leashes than coaches because they're, you know, the nicest guy in the room and, you know, wakes up at 4am works really hard, but like it, yeah. it, it, when success and it's a, it's a win loss league across the board, it's a right. win loss league, but for GMs and it's some different. coaches, even it's not a win loss league. It's how yeah. nice you are. It's when you get there and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Bruce Allen. You know he has a great relationship with uh, Snyder and Jay Gruden. Like, there's just certain things where you're like, the friendship matters more than anything else. And I mean, Tannenbaum didn't even get fired in Miami, by the way. They just put him in a different office in the facility, and he just doesn't have the same title. Like, yeah. He's still probably getting paid a fortune. He just doesn't. And that's what happens when there's not a ton of checks and balances at the th- from yeah. the top down. I mean, it's one. It's usually one or two guys making a big decision. And when that happens every year, you know, guys are staying in power that maybe shouldn't be. And, and you don't see that in some other, you know, certain companies and that kind of stuff. It just sucks. Um, anyway, Austin, this was great as always. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, what can we check out for you this week at profootballfocus.com? Doing a lot of free agency stuff. We're releasing mm-hmm. free agency profiles, looking at underrated Mike Renner free had agents. a top 10 underrated one. Yeah, exactly. Zadarius yeah. uh, Smith, I think, is going to get under, you know, he's an underrated radar guy that could get paid this offseason and sneakily help you know the team. not? What? Bud Dupree, which oh. is a good thing to be because you did write the uh, the evisceration of the Steelers pass rush. That's true. To go. Yes, mm-hmm. I did. And but Bud Dupree, that has rang, rung true for T.J. Watt. He's turned stuff around. I think I've I've wrote a separate article. Oh, you're after, back on T.J. Watt. I wrote a separate okay. article, not back on T.J. Watt, but only spoke to how much he's improved since that article. I wrote a separate article after that T.J. Watt article saying how he's added this, an inside spin move, how he's added counters to his speed rush, and really improved in the last six weeks to a point where he has 
one of the highest pass rush grades in the last like six to eight weeks of the season compared to one of the lowest pass rush grades at the top end. I think his improvement's insane. Bud Dupree's continued not improvement and how bad he's been. He lacks a counter move. He's really rung true in that article while TJ Watts kind of turned things around. Yeah. The forgotten Kentucky edge rusher. Why are they like edge rusher you though? Bud Dupree, Smith, uh, Josh Allen now? To call him edge rusher you is, is aggressive, but I, I agree. I well, edge rusher coming of, out. I, yeah. He obviously was a good rusher at um, Kentucky. And that's why he went in the first round, but um, yeah, he should be good. Like that name, Bud Dupree. It's a good like name. Ten out of ten. It's like a Von Miller name. Well, his first like, name oh, is yeah. Alvin, though. Is it? Oh, yeah, it's Alvin Bud Dupree. That was the problem. That is the problem. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even know that. I don't think the Steelers knew that. That's that's gotta be what it is. Oh my god, just drafting Alvin's and not T, uh, not uh, JJ Watts. The, exactly. the wrong JJ Alvin's. It's just all kinds of mess ups for Keith Butler, and that would actually make sense because he did think that uh, who was it? Tyler Eifert was still playing oh, football that's right. just a that's few weeks right. ago. So Every Tyler on the Cincinnati Bengals team <laughs> is on the injured reserve, and he's like, "Yeah, Tyler's gonna really ruin us." <laughs> oh my god. Um, great times in Steelerland. Sorry, Steelers fans, you're still great, but uh, not great this offseason. Um, Austin, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. We can find you on Twitter at pff underscore Austin Gale. We can read you at Pro Football Focus, which I do every single day. And uh, we will talk next week after the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Rams, and the Saints all win this weekend. And you do not get your wishes granted in the AFC <laughs> at the very least. Sounds great. Thanks, man. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, not the Chad Thomas podcast, as my guest from Cheesehead TV, Zach Jacobson, um, <laughs> I believe mis, uh, misquoted, misnamed. I don't know. You brought it up when we were uh, <laughs> putting this together this week. I had forgotten about it, and you reminded me that that actually happened on this podcast. You called me Chad. I, I Look, it kind of like it, it haunted me a little bit just because I felt so bad afterwards. Right. Like you invite, it's you the worst white guy name, your, by the way. It really you can't is. Come back like, from that. It's your stereotypical, like, white dude, like Chad, yes. like the typical bro, you know? Exactly. I, I felt so bad after that. Like, this guy's invited me on this podcast, and I, I call him Chad. <laughs> it's I didn't let that go. No, and I had. I'd moved on, and you brought it That's back insane. up, and I had to think about whether or not do I still bring him back on the podcast. I, but I believe in second chances, Zach. Thank you. So this is, <laughs> Thank you very uh, much. <laughs> At least I showed remorse. At least I felt bad. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. Um, so the Packers. You covered this team for Cheesehead TV. I am just still kind of processing this team hiring Matt LaFleur to be their next head coach. Um, when you first saw Matt LaFleur was, the, was going to be the next head coach of the Green Bay Packers, what was your first thought? Wow. Like, it was a total curveball out of left field which honest, honestly at this point with this team with this organization i should expect curveballs i should expect them to do the unexpected just because they've just gotten they've grown accustomed to doing that over the years so really my fault for not not seeing that coming but i i mean i was told that josh mcdaniels was the favorite all of the reports said josh mcdaniels is the favorite and for the whole week there was the mutual interest between those two. I mean, he turned down the interview with the Bengals. He didn't take up an interview with the Browns, despite there being apparent mutual interest there. He would only interview with the Packers. And he did so uh, last Friday. 
he would only leave New England for the right situation. And apparently that situ- situation came and passed him by. So, yeah, to see LaFleur's name pop up on my phone, that just totally, totally surprised me. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it... So the McDaniel stuff, the weird thing with the Packers, which is hard to peruse through, is that, like, the Murphy... I'm still not going to pronounce that name correctly, so I'm just going to say it as German as possible and just really go all out go there. For it. But um, he... We don't really know, like, because all the reporting was like Murphy brought in Pat Fitzgerald because he was the AD at Northwestern who hired Fitzgerald, and then mm-hmm. you had the Lincoln Riley rumors, then you had uh, Gutenkunst who had that relationship <laughs> and familiarity with Josh McDaniels, and you're like, so who is getting the final say here? Are they just like picking, like, okay, I get to interview my candidate, then you can interview yours, and then we'll come to some sort of general consensus. And then you read the reports of like, they thought some other team was going to make a move on LaFleur faster. And they just felt like they had to go ahead and lock him in. They didn't even want to do a second round of interviews. Cause he, he only interviewed once and they didn't bring anybody else for follow up. But then they also started with the Chuck Pagano and Jim Caldwell stuff. And you're like, Oh, maybe they're going to go the retread route. Like, what are they going to do here? Is this just going to be like a very expansive search? And it, they were a very hard situation to read from the get go. And um, I don't know. I feel like this could have gone a lot worse. That which is a weird thing to think about uh, with the Packers. But based on who they're interviewing, <laughs> I think Lafleur, like if he if he doesn't have that year in Tennessee with Marion mm-hmm. and everything else, and he's just the offensive coordinator, let's say this year with McVay, like this is a slam dunk hire. I think everybody's jumping in the streets or eating all the cheese and watching that seventy show reruns just all day long. Um, <laughs> if that's the case but he had you can't just ignore what happened in tennessee but at the same time the nerve issue in uh mariota's uh hand arm whatever it is and just him just not being great um it's hard to figure out how much of those struggles were on the floor um he also only got one year with this group and I don't know. It's it's tough to figure out. I mean, he was also the QB coach uh, for the Falcons when they had the number one offense in football and went to the Super Bowl uh, with Kyle Shanahan. So he has familiarity with all the right offensive minds. And also kind of, I mean, remember when they, you obviously remember this, is like when they hired Mike McCarthy. It's not like he was some celebrated San Francisco 49ers name. Like it was not a sexy oh, yeah, hire at, at the time. And they won a Super Bowl with him. And obviously things did not end well there. But at the same time, like, I think you could still say the McCarthy stuff was a success, but also kind of out of left field where you're like, I don't know. This is Packers we're talking about here, but we still are going to, we're just going to try this. You kind of like, uh, I mean, maybe let's see. It's not the, the hottest name possible, but maybe it's okay. And it was okay for a long time. And that's kind of where I'm at where it's like, we should have seen this coming maybe is like the non-sexy name of just like he's interesting he'll probably put together good offenses um Aaron Rodgers will be revitalized with this group and everything else um he's gonna keep Mike Pettin probably and things will be pretty same old same old just with a offense with a facelift and he'll be there for like 10 years yeah and I think you kind of um you kind of alluded to his struggles in Tennessee and if you kind of look past that one year in Tennessee where he was the OC and you, you mentioned the, the nerve issue Marcus Mariota was dealing with. He lost to Laney Walker in the season opener. The, yeah. off, the offensive line was just hampered by injuries. And still throughout the season, you saw 
you saw LaFleur adapt on the run as, as the team's coordinator. You saw them kind of morph into this power running team with Derrick Henry. And you saw them transition into that type of offense. And still, you saw flashes of the, the innovation. That, yeah, exactly. And that's something that the Packers haven't seen the last few years with, with Mike McCarthy. And that's been one of the biggest complaints in the latter couple of years of his tenure is just that things were, quote unquote, stale. Things were running stale in Green Bay. There was a lack of innovation. When you look around the league, you look at Sean McVay, you look at Pete Carmichael and, and, and Sean Payton, you look at those guys in New Orleans, and you see what other teams are able to do on offense. And you think, why can't this team with Aaron Rodgers do that? Why can't this team with Aaron Jones in the backfield get creative and run these types of plays? So, and I also like that you mentioned McCarthy when he was brought on in 2006, because when they brought him aboard, his background working with quarterbacks, despite that previous year in, in, in San Francisco where his offense was just god-awful. Yeah, it I wasn't good. Ranked, ranked last, yeah, it was terrible. I believe ranked last in the league that year. He was brought on specifically to help rejuvenate Brett Favre's career at that point. That's when, that 2006 season. We saw Favre look a country mile better than he did in 2005, which was the worst season that I've seen out of Green Bay in my, in my personal lifetime. So when they did that, he had the whole quarterback school. He got far, far didn't participate in it, but he got Aaron Rodgers running through it. And Rodgers, when he came out of Cal, he looked like a completely different quarterback, but he got put into that quarterback school. He adjusted his mechanics his fundamentals and he transitioned into the quarterback that we began to see in the early 2010s. So McCarthy was brought on to, to kind of fix, the quarterback situation. And I think LaFleur with his background in quarterback is kind of going to do the same thing here. Um, he was the offensive quality control coach of the Houston Texans. He has that background with Gary Kubiak and working with the Redskins in 2010 to 2013, those four seasons, he was one of the architects as the quarterback's coach there behind Robert Griffin, the third's stellar rookie season in 2012. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned that MVP season with Matt Ryan in 2016, where he was the team's quarterback's coach, which I know teams don't want to give, well, not teams, but fans specifically in general, they don't want to give a lot of credit to titles like quarterback, quarterback's coach or assistant coaches, anything along those lines, because, you know, it's but not you the should. head like, coach. Even as a Packers Absolutely. fan, you should like Alex Van Pelt and like how pissed Aaron Rodgers was that he left for uh, Cincinnati. Like those guys yeah, matter. Absolutely. Zach Taylor, all those dudes, they 100% matter. Byron Leftwich, yeah. you go up and down the list. They obviously matter. It's a collective team effort, what these guys put out onto the field every week. Mm-hmm. It's never just one guy. And, you know, and that, that could go into the whole quarterback wins argument, too, but that's a thing for another day. Um, then he had that year as the Rams offensive coordinator in, in 2017. He once again was reunited with McVay after serving uh, with him in Washington when McVay was the team's tight ends coach for, for those few years. So yeah. he, he has that. McVay, he's a protege of protege of McVay. He worked with Kyle Shanahan, two of the current brightest coaches in the league right now. So he has that pedigree with him. Both, all three of those guys are from the the Mike Shanahan tree, and I, I, I just think, I think it's a it's a great hire. You know, I personally would have convinced myself to get on board with anybody they hired, whether it was yeah. Josh McDaniels or whether it was Mike Munchak. I it might have taken a little bit of alcohol, but I would have convinced myself to like to like Munchak. I mean, you know, you know your offensive line would have been great. David Bakhtiari would be awesome yeah. for like the next twelve years. That'd be good to know. Yeah, absolutely. James Campen yeah. would have loved that. <laughs> Our off- the offensive yeah. line coach over there, you would have loved that. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Like the so the LaFour stuff too, and also Kyle Shanahan is my coach of the year. I don't know if uh, you already have a coach of the year vote, but him getting almost at a thousand yard season out of Matt Breda, who was averaging I think five point four yards per carry this year in San Francisco with the yeah that was impressive. Had, like just him getting any wins with <laughs> Nick Mullins and that wide receiver group and what he did with George Kittle, turning him into a just a freak of nature. Like Kyle Shanahan, coach of the year every year, my guy. Um, and I still will never forgive the Atlanta Falcons for not just promoting Matt Lafleur to OC uh, when Shanahan left and just blocking him because you can do that. You can block them from leaving the QB coach, uh, Mike Zimmer. Shout out to him when he blocked the. Uh, um, who was it? Stefanski from following yep. uh, Pat Shermer to New York. Like you could have done that. You could have just been like, nope, you're stag and you're going to be our offensive coordinator and you're going to be a play caller because that's what he wanted to do a couple years later anyway. That's why he left Los Angeles for Tennessee is Sean yep. McBay is the play caller in Los Angeles and he wanted to call his own plays. Um, God, uh, Dirk Cutter, Mike Malik. I'm I'm not getting into a Falcon stuff right now. No, I won't do it. Um, <laughs> You've let it all out if you need to. <sighs> Dirk Cutter, Mike Malarkey, I just... Who else can they bring back? I, I, it's also insane. Like Tampa Bay and Atlanta just continually just swap guys. Like Keith Armstrong is now the special teams coach in Tampa Bay, and it just whatever. Um, Brent Grimes, like you go up and down the list. I just feel like every Jaquiz Rogers that died, whatever. Um, just a weird back and forth between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Atlanta Falcons over the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, so Lafleur, I my favorite thing about it at the very least, is something that we've touched on, which is like, I don't think there is any way this bombs, which I think you can't say for a lot of these other uh, job openings right now. Like whoever takes the Dolphins job, like Adam Gase in New York, like all kinds of chances to bomb. Um, You go up and down the list, you're like, Freddie Kitchens, is he ready to be his own coach? Like, we'll see. Like his relationship with Baker works and um, it's probably the right call there just to keep what's working. But uh, who are they going to hire to replace Greg Williams? Because that defense was better than the offense this year. And they're, if you look at DBOA and everything else, um, and there's just so much more talent on defense and so much more invested with those guys, with Miles Garrett and uh, Denzel Ward up and down the list. Like, um, we'll see what happens there. But Cincinnati, well, like, do you really expect, like, Vance Joseph and friends to turn that around um, next year? Like, you just, you think about it and you're like, oh, Matt LaFleur, like, why are we overthinking this? This dude is going to win, like, 10 games, 11 games, whatever it is, with Aaron Rodgers. They're probably going to uh, run the ball more with Aaron Jones. Their offensive line is still going to be good. They need some more skill talent around Aaron Rodgers. They can't rely on the Geronimo Allisons of the world. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, you there's a lot to like if he keeps Mike Pettin. Like, do you think that's the right move just because changing defensive coordinators? But it's also a staple of Green Bay Packer lore. Uh, to keep defensive coordinators around seven years too late. Shout out to Dom Capers, wherever he is, um, living Thanks his best that. life in retirement. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know. And it also could help just having Mike Pettin around with this group because Mike Pettin has been a head coach. He was a head coach of the Browns, like having someone on staff, kind of like what happened with Sean McVay when he went to Los Angeles. He brought Wade Phillips with him and to kind of help mold him and help uh, him just make sure that he succeeded. Um, you had John Fossil uh, also with him. So I think that is going to be intriguing to see if he keeps a lot of the staff there. Um, I it, I did see like Aaron Nagler is like really upset over the idea that Ron Zook might be retained. Can you explain to me why Packers fans really hate Ron Zook as special teams coordinator and why they want him back in uh, the financial sector? He is a very, he is very bad at his job and he has been the last yes. couple of years. 
So why? What does he do? Like, I've just never had, like, I've never had a strong opinion about a special teams coordinator. I guess that's why it's so fascinating to me. That's that's the crazy thing. You know, you wouldn't expect people that feel so strongly about something as minuscule as a special teams coordinator or right. the aspect of special teams. But that that concept, that aspect of the game just complete has been completely overblown the last couple of seasons just because the Packers have had so many penalties on special teams, so many undisciplined plays where hmm. a lot of big plays are completely wiped out. And to be fair, that's happening across the league. You know, whenever whenever big plays happen or, you know, big returns happen, there's it happened this weekend with uh, Tavon Austin when he returned the, the, the punt return for yep. six and they had a block in the back and Jason Garrett um, had some great uh, curse words that he mouthed um, to the officials during the broadcast. But yes, continue. That's that's really it. Just really undisciplined. And I think, you know, because they, they went from Sean Slocum to Ron Zook. And I think people kind of want to go back to Sean, Sean Slocum now. And Well, where is he? Never, people, I'm not sure, actually. That's a good question. He is, I, last I checked, he was unemployed. I don't think he's caught on to his staff at all. But Bring him back. Might as well at this point. <laughs> I mean, there's not really much to lose here. As long as Ron Zook is just off the staff, <laughs> then I think, I think that that's a win right now. I think that should be Lafleur's first order of business, and I do think bringing Mike Pettin back and retaining him was is going to be the right call because otherwise you have three different defensive coordinators in three seasons, and yeah. there's no sense of continuity there. There's no there's no opportunity for these players to mesh. These young players, I should mention, there's like going to be Jair even Alexander, more. Josh Jackson, who just learned the system and show a lot of promise, and you don't want to Demarius Randall them or anything exactly. like that. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to make them uncomfortable and have them try to adapt to a new voice, a new scheme, anything like that. So, And I mean, Pettin, he did his job last year. He was great. And the defense was off to an insane start earlier in the year before yeah. they just got hurt constantly, yeah. injury after injury. They were battered across the board. And Clay Matthews wasn't good. No, yeah, rinse and repeat. Yeah, Muhammad Wilkerson got hurt, really hurt them because that was a big thing for them and he had that history with Pettin. Yeah. He was good when he played and then he From got New hurt. Uh, yep. But you still have, I mean, there's still talent on that defensive line. Um, what's the dude's Absolutely. name? Uh, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark. Daniels. Clark, yes. Because yeah. there's two Clarks and I always like get hesitant about that because there's Frank Clark in Seattle who's dominating over there and then there's the other Clark in uh, Green Bay. Who was so, also dominating. Yeah, it just sounds weird to me. I always have to th- second guess myself. I'm like, there, is there really two pass rushers in the NFC that are both really good? Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you also mentioned his head coaching experience in the past too, which I think could be helpful to a first-year head coach like LaFleur. And that's also kind of a, a reason that I would have kind of really supported the concept of bringing back Joe Philbin, whether it's as oh, an God. offensive coordinator okay. or whether it's, as an assistant head coach, finding a way to keep him on the staff would have been helpful because the players love him. They love playing for him. He's he, he, he's a big voice in that locker room. And I think when you have the players on your side, that's half the battle right there. Is there any crossover between the two of them? Probably not. Uh, LaFleur and Philbin? Yeah. Not that I know of, no. I don't believe yeah. so. Does You know what LaFleur should do? Now that uh, Van Pelt got cleared out in uh, Cincinnati because that coaching staff's gone. Bring, Bring back, back Alex Aaron. Van Pelt. Oh, yes. Yeah. If you want to get Al- Aaron Rodgers re-engaged and what's going on in Lambeau, bring back Van Pelt. That was That's a great idea. 
we, we all we all remember what happened and all the stories that came out when they when they let Van Pelt go and apparently how ticked off Rogers was. That's what I'm saying. Like you you let Jordy Nelson go, which is the right thing, seeing how it turned out this year in Oakland. But like, man, if you can score some easy brownie points right here with a new coach, this is it right now. Bring back Van Pelt. I think Joe Philbin actually is interviewing with the Vikings sometime soon for their offensive line position, their offensive line coach position. Interesting. The Vikings, yeah. That came out tonight, I think, from Bob McGinn. Hmm. Okay. That would, be, that would be fun. Let's bring him in. What's Mike Tice <laughs> up to these days? Let's bring Mike Tice back out of retirement. Because the NFL, yeah, basically, um, is just everybody gets like 19 jobs. Malarkey got his 37th. Um, in his NFL career. So shout out to him for keep getting that work and getting those checks. But um, Bruce Arians got rehired. Well, that's okay. Like you hire Bruce Arians if he says yes. Like the only reason he wasn't coaching still is for health stuff. Like Bruce Arians yeah. is the top, what, five coach in the NFL? Right? Like you, you would think you... so? Dude, if you look at put... his record and what he got and seeing what Arizona was like without him, I, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know how you couldn't just... Like you can just pencil in seven wins at the bare minimum the next 10. year for the Bucks. I would put him in the top ten. Okay. I do. Who's your top five? I, I do. We'll save that for another day. I don't have that on hand. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. If you go down the list, there's a lot of shitty coaches in the NFL right now, and I like the list is like Sean McVay, Sean Payton, um, Pete Carroll, Belichick. Uh, who else are we? Li- Andy Reid. That's five. Oh, there's so. five. I probably I put John Harbaugh ahead of him. Oh no! Oh, I had a oh, Bruce Arians. Yeah. I had a Bruce. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, can't do it. Um, look what the guy has done with there? Joe Flacco. I just can't do it. Bruce Arians could do it with anybody. Like that dude. I don't know. Bruce Arians. Did I. You? He's my guy. Love Bruce Arians. He, he almost went to the playoffs with Drew Stanton. Okay, to be fair, the Cardinals were already in a good position that year when Palmer went down. He put them in a good position. He's the best coach in Cardinals history. Well, Palmer started a majority of that season. That was 2014, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, they were Super Bowl. Like, so if you go back and it's amazing to read like preseason like um, stories on the Cardinals just two years ago because the last year of Carson Palmer, they were predicted to go to the Super Bowl by a lot of smart NFL people. Like, they were Super Bowl contenders just two years ago. Now they're the worst it, roster in football. They just completed a top five worst offensive DVOA season of all time. That just happened. And they just hired Cliff Kingsbury because it's the worst job in the NFL. They're still trying to pick up the pieces after Arians. And then they, yeah. they, they released... It's hard uh, to pick up the pieces the after Badger. losing a top five coach, turns out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anytime you lose a top ten coach, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Would Packers fans have wanted Bruce Arians or have been like, oh, he's too old. He'll only be here for a couple of years. He'll have to do this all over again. I'm sure they would have, kind of like me, they would have talked themselves into it, but I don't think Bruce Arians wanted them. (laughs) He he did not want anything to do with the Packers' job. What if you woke up, like, and the LaFleur stuff didn't happen, you woke up one day last week, and it's just the Eagles offer um, to, or the Packers offer two first-round picks for Doug Peterson? Two first-round picks? That, okay, to get know, it, I, that's what it would have to taken get, to for get sure. Doug Peterson. Okay, the the best backup quarterback in Packers history. I would. Right. I would. Yeah, okay, I, can, I can get on board with that. Is he the best backup no. in quarterback history? I was gonna oh, say, no, wouldn't that be no. Aaron Rodgers? 
Yeah. Okay. The I think it's Aaron Rodgers. That was never the best backup. That was never a starter. <laughs> okay. Uh, definitely not Brett Hundley. I think we can confirm that one. It wasn't Brett Hundley. <laughs> yeah. No. He's he's pretty far down the list. I love that Aaron Rodgers is both the best uh, backup quarterback and best quarterback in Green Bay history. It's pretty great. It speaks to speaks to his talent, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. Do, are there still Packer fans that think that Brett Favre is the best of all time, or is every Packer fan just kind of yeah. unanimous? Yes, yes, as in like they are. still think Brett Favre over Aaron Rodgers. Yes, yes, a, a straight adamant yes. I, I actually argued with a few of them on on oh, no. that godforsaken website known as Twitter a few weeks ago. <laughs> I, I never posted tweet. something about yeah, no, ne- never, not with, don't ever tweet anything about Brett Favre being better than Aaron Rodgers because crazy Packer fans in Wisconsin will come after you. It, it was something about how how many interceptions Favre had thrown compared to Rodgers at this point in his career. I forgot what it was, but the disparity was massive and crazy, crazy set in their ways. Packer fans just came at my throat. That's weird. Um, people need to calm down. Nothing's that serious. Twitter is not that serious. It's, it's all fine. It's, it's all fine. Stop getting, yeah, absolutely. stop going nuclear on uh, Twitter. It's, it's okay. Um, Last thing, and then we'll go. So, you have LaFleur in the fold. Petten's back. Aaron Rodgers is back. Um, young, intriguing secondary. Maybe Muhammad Wilkerson gets healthy. You draft an edge rusher because this draft is just littered with edge rush talent. Mm-hmm. So, you get one of them, like Josh Allen, whoever. The offensive line's good. Do you think this team should be considered favorites to win the division next year? Do you think they should be Super Bowl contenders right away? Like, what do you think happens in year one of LaFour? Because people always are very um, careful when predicting like new coaches like this. Remember, like Matt Nagy, no one had the Bears outside of like the third spot in the NFC North this year, right? Like that was something right. where no one, and then it was just normal, and like, oh, they're just winning the division. Um, that can happen. And that was with Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> so... I'm pretty low on the lines and where they're going. I think losing Vic Fangio is going to be a huge blow to the Bears next year. And then you have the Vikings retaining Kevin Stefanski as their OC, which is not the most inspiring thing, although their defense did turn around, and I love that receiving core and everything else. But um, that offensive line is still just an absolute dumpster fire. So I think they should be considered the favorites again, um, which is part of the reason the McCarthy stuff was so annoying, is like this team is just too talented to go through what they're going through, but also the injuries um, are an issue. So... As they continue adding more depth and all that kind of stuff, maybe that things will be different next year. But is it fair to say that I would expect them, or I should expect them to win the NFC North and compete uh, for a Super Bowl next year? Yes and no. Okay. Yes, you can kind of pencil them in as one of the favorites to win the division, I should say. Of course, it's obviously only in January, but still, you could pencil them in right now as favorites. But for Super Bowl... I still think they got a little, little, few more improvements to make during the off season. A lot of, a lot of holes to fill on the roster. Uh, and I think you mentioned it too. Losing Vic Fangio in Chicago is going to be bigger than people realize. But the Bears do still have talent on the defense. They still have Khalil Mack. They still have Keem Hicks, Eddie Jackson, Kyle Fuller. They still have a lot of players out there. So I think wh- whoever they get to fill in that void, which I, I, I think it was going to be Todd Bowles. I, or I think he's staying in Tampa Bay. I don't know. What, I can't remember what the news was, but. Yeah, I think Whoever he's in Tampa Bay with Leftwich and everybody else. So I think they're so did, doing Arizona 2.0 in Tampa. Okay, so he did agree. Okay, yeah. uh, 
whoever goes there as a defensive coordinator in Chicago, he's going to have a lot of toys to play with. I can tell you that right now. But the Bears, Packers, Vikings, they're going to be that trio to watch kind of balancing out the division for the next couple of years because I don't see the Lions sneaking up on anybody uh, as far as that goes. But the Packers, they just got a few holes to fill over the offseason. Anytime you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, it's, it sounds redundant. It sounds cliche. But anytime he's your quarterback, you got to watch out for that football team. Even coming off probably his worst year since 2015, you know, by his standards, they were still a team that would compete every Sunday, even with complete complacency on the field. They would still compete, still find a way to, to hang in games. You saw it against the Patriots, against the Rams. They, they fought their way through games last year. And with a new coach, new system, innovative minds, some new players filling in gaps on the roster, they can be a dangerous team. But a lot of that is going to be dependent on how Matt LaFleur meshes with Aaron Rodgers because you're going to see it early, how they get along, how they're able to cooperate. That's going to be huge. If you can get Rodgers to buy into what he's trying to sell, then that's just going to lay the groundwork for, for years to come. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, what would be a more um, complicated or what would be a worse decision for this uh, new coaching staff to um, go do this offseason? Uh, bring in Jordan Rodgers as the new QB coach or trade for Antonio Brown? Which one would be worse? Yeah. I think surprise Aaron here's your brother <laughs> or surprise Aaron here's Antonio Brown for the next couple of years yeah I think that that one's obvious is <laughs> it that, yes oh my god look if you want to get a reality tv show started and you want to form your own rendition of hard knocks and get mm-hmm. Aaron's brother bring him on board get him on the coaching staff and just watch them fist fight all day and oh watch them god. push each other into lockers and all that. at the great. very least at the very least. Yeah, that would be that would be insane to watch. I, I'm 100% here for it, but realistically, if they had to do one of those things and obviously try you know, trade Antonio Brown, if you had, a, if you, you had a, gun, a gun to your head and you had to pick between one of them. Would you be okay with them trading for Antonio Brown? Uh, yes. Let's say it's like a first not. and a second. First and a second? Like uh, for 2019? Yeah, let's do maybe one. Let's do a first in 2019 and then a second, maybe two seconds. I feel like his price tag is going to be pretty high, but I wouldn't give up that much for a receiver. I just don't feel like they matter that much in today's NFL. So I don't know, especially when you have Aaron Rodgers. The whole point is that you can kind of invest in other areas when you have a quarterback that good. Um, I don't know. I think I would do a first and a second for Antonio Brown for the remainder of Aaron Rodgers' prime. I... I would too, because they still have that first round pick to hang on to. So right. it's not like they're kind of throwing the whole kitchen sink at him. I mean, if that you're, receiving if you're... core is bad, man. Like outside of Devontae Adams, who's just a freak of nature now, um, yeah. who I appreciate deciding to become a superstar the year after I had him in fantasy football, where he was just the absolute <laughs> worst. Um, so I appreciate that. Shout out to Devontae Adams. But um, yeah, I mean, Tony Brown, Devontae Adams, that'd be fun, man. That would be terrifying. Randall Cobb whenever be, he's healthy. Yeah, have him at the seventh spot, round pick kinda. that no one can pronounce. You'll find that guy in there. He'll be the fourth guy. Whoever <laughs> next year's version of that will be, Equimius St. Brown or who? All the names, Geronimo Allison. It's it's incredible. 
the names that uh, pop Geronimo, up. The Geronimo St. Equinemius Scantling. That's a possibility. I wouldn't rule it out for 2019. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. They do got to stock up on receivers, though, because we don't know what's going to happen with Randall Cobb and Geronimo Allison in 2019. They're both or if at Jimmy the end Graham's of their contract. Good again. Or if he's ever good again. But Matt LaFleur does like, he likes to incorporate tight ends. So there's not all mm. hope lost with him. Okay. That's a sneaky under the radar, like buy low candidate of like, if you sold all your Jimmy Graham stock, LaFleur might be um, gearing up for a Jimmy Graham resurgence store. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Everyone kind of forgot go. about Jimmy Graham because it's 2018. So could be a guy to watch. There you go. Zach, do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Oh, you guys don't want to follow me, but in case you do, you guys can listen to uh, follow me actually on Twitter at Zach A. J. Gibson, the Z A C H, not Z A C K, unless you work at Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> yep. You can find me at Chief TV. You can read my work there. You can hear me uh, on iTunes. Just search up the leap and you can find me there. And I'm also on the Pack a Day podcast. So be sure to check out the teams at Chief TV and the Pack a Day podcast. And make sure you follow Chase as well. He's a cool dude. Oh. Yes, there you go. I, I was yeah, not I get a double that. plug in there. There you go. <laughs> and one of the easiest ways to help the Pack a Day podcast grow is to leave a rating interview for my podcast. And it actually transfers to the Pack a Day uh, listenership. So, um, oh, wow, I've never heard of that me, before. Helping them. Yeah. A lot of people <laughs> don't know that. <laughs> yeah. I'm always uh, giving new information out on this podcast. Zach, Thanks, this was great. It. I appreciate uh, you taking the time, sir. Yeah, man. Uh, and I didn't call you Ch- I didn't call you Chad this time, so... You did not. We, we made it through not. the whole podcast safe and sound. <laughs> Thank God. No Chads in this podcast. Um, although, I'm trying to think, is there anyone in media that I might name Chad? I was just having to think about that for a second, because I just... There's someone at the Action Network, I want to say, is Chad, but I could be wrong. Anyway, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to burn any bridges at the end of this podcast, so that is going to be it for today's episode zach thank you so much and uh let's talk again soon right after matt lafleur um goes 11 and 5 in year one <laughs> i like that. i like your style thanks man talk to you later and that'll do it for today's episode of the chase thomas podcast i uh, just want to remind you guys if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on apple podcast or itunes i would really appreciate if you could take a second leave the show a five-star rating and a review if uh, you're not an apple podcast listener Remember, you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we'll be back episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.